listening to Filling the Storehouse podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. What's up, everybody? Hey, uh, before we start this episode, I wanted to ask you, um, what, what are you reading right now? And I hope it's more than um, just men's health or, or you know, Fox News in the morning or the latest uh, military instruction. Um, you know, I learned uh, something a long time ago that, that the way we as adults learn is, is really just by reading books. And if you want to stay sharp throughout your entire career, you need to be a reader and a lifelong learner. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to let you know that uh, we just partnered with... Uh, my friend John Laney and, and his company called DoD Reads. Um, it's, uh, it's a site that uh, aims to uh, get military's you know official reading lists on on every command bookshelf. And um, so you know if you are interested in that, if if you look at your library and it's out of date, and uh, you know you want to get uh, the latest uh, versions, the best reading list you possibly can for you and uh, your company or your your military command. Hey, reach out to uh, you can you can reach out to me. Uh, you can send me an email, storehouse at dodreads.com, and uh, we can get you started uh, getting your list, your reading list updated. Again, that email is storehouse at dodreads.com. Let's all go be lifelong learners. Enjoy the episode. See you. All right. What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Stu, and uh, that's Dave, and this is Filling the Storehouse podcast. And uh, we're really excited about our, our guests that we have on uh, for this show. Uh, we have uh, Doug Norman and Carol Pittner, and um, they are both, uh, I guess, I guess really f- both former military now, right, Carol? You're, you're kind of officially out. Uh, but, exactly. uh, yeah, so um, they were, they were military <laughs> at one point back in the day, and, and, uh, they wrote a, a really awesome book that we're going to talk about uh, um, in this show and, and just have some fun and ask some questions. So uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks. Yeah. I, I enjoyed your episode with Dave McKinney and the Donor Advised Funds. That was a good one. Yeah, you like that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, well, I, I have to tell you this up front. I, I almost had to cancel tonight. And I don't know if you can see it, but I have like some blood on my shirt here. I, I have a, a three-year-old blo- boy and like literally oh. probably an hour before this, we were uh, getting ready for dinner and he was like jumping on some couch pillows and he like slipped and fell and like banged his chin, like right against oh, the, boy. A, 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 a bookshelf and like split open <sighs> blood everywhere. And like, we were on the way to the emergency room, but then we we're like, ah, it's not so bad. We can maybe just stitch it. So <laughs> these are these, the, uh, so you the guys couches. are very important right now. So you should feel important about, and I kept my kid from going to the emergency room to get this thing done. So Stu, I'm going to, I'm going to make a wild guess that you used to be a naval aviator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. How'd you know? It's, it's, it's the attitude toward, you know, walk it off. Yeah. yeah we have duct tape off. for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> put a little these are pillows that you were uh, bragging on the other day, Stu, yes, that you were highlighting right. how awesome they are and yeah. everybody should go out and get them. Hey, so I just want to take a quick pause here and mention that we are not uh, legally uh, tied to any kind of kids pillow things that Stu advocates for <laughs> and that people can jump off of and hurt themselves. We're not lawyers, nor are we mm. pillow sellers in any way. So Thank you, thanks. Stu, for that, for getting us in legal trouble beforehand. Yeah, That's thanks, really, man. Appreciate, <laughs> that. appreciate you. 
we're, we're all just parents trying to make our way in the world as best uh, as we can with our kids man. as intact as they can be. I tell you, I, I can tell you that I'm, no one's more surprised than me that my child uh, survived our attempts to raise her. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> going to get awesome. into that. I, I want some stories. I want some stories here. Yeah, we got stories. Uh, well, yeah. So if you could, um, Doug, we'll start with you. If you could just kind of you know, yep. tell our audience who you are um, and, and, you know, what background a little bit, and then uh, kind of we'll get into the, the book a little bit later. I think it's important uh, too that uh, for all the local kind station out in Hawaii, that it's Uncle Uncle Doug. Uncle Doug, yes. Uncle Doug. Or, or now, now that I've raised my game a little bit, I'm actually Grand Doug. Now that I'm oh, Grand, Grand uh, Doug shoots right. cuz. Yeah, and and Grand Marge too. So uh, I, I retired from the U.S. Navy Submarine Force in uh, 2002. Uh, my spouse and I reached financial independence on a high savings rate just shortly before I retired. So. We retired here in Hawaii. I was 41 years old. We've been retired for almost 19 years. And of course, we're on Oahu. Uh, one of the uh, jokes, uh, as you might imagine, I got some pushback about retiring from the military and not immediately starting a bridge career. And so one of the jokes was, well, what are you going to do? Surf all day? And on the day that our family retired, on uh, 1 June 2002, we went down to White Plains Beach it was two to four, paid the lifeguard uh, for a lesson, and he pushed all three of us in the waves for an hour, and uh, we were hooked. And so we have discovered what we like to do all day. I also enjoy writing, and so I've written one book on military personal finance, and then with Carol, as you know, I've written the other book on raising your money-savvy family. And I found I really, uh, thank you, I really enjoy the act of, of writing and explaining a, a complicated topic with uh, simple concepts and, and, and helping people. And I guess you could say I'm more or less a, a military personal finance coach and enjoy doing that. But I also enjoy just the blogging, the camaraderie and hanging out with people to talk about. That's awesome. And Carol, you got to learn all this stuff growing up, right? Oh, I got extremely lucky. You know, I had two naval officers for parents, you know, they, they made it so that I was actually able to both uh, be born and to grow up in Hawaii. There was only maybe one move in my entire childhood, and that was to San Diego and then right back to Pearl. And so that was nice. You know, I'd, I'd grown up on an island my whole life. The first thing I wanted to do was to fly the nest and go see the world. And what better way to do that than by joining the Navy? So nice. even the mom and dad said, do anything you can, just go do something different. Just don't go in the Navy. That's, that's exactly what me as a rebellious teenager did. Yep. And so I, um, I was selected as a SWO, and I was really fortunate. My first duty station was Rota, Spain. And so I got to do the destroyer life. I got to go to 12 different countries in and around Europe and had a blast. And dad got and then, to visit? Oh, yeah. Met that my husband. Happens. We got married, went back stateside, went on my second ship, and life wasn't as much fun anymore. <laughs> and so I, I'm kind of looking around. I'm, I'm looking at my bosses above me, and I'm like, I'm not really sure I want to do that. And I'm kind of looking left and right, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I really want to do that either. And so I just decided that it's, it's time to step off the gas pedal. Let me ease back out of active duty and into the reserves. And it just so happened that the same time that I swapped out of active duty to reserves, I found out that we were pregnant. Baby number one was coming. Nice. So that was about two years ago now. Our little girl is one year old now, and she is tearing up the house. You know, all the books are coming <laughs> off the shelves. Everything is going into her mouth. Uh, she's a reader. She, she's a reader. She likes to consume literature maybe a little bit differently than you uh, anticipated. A little yes. too literally, yes. <laughs> so we're, we're not quite ready to talk about money yet. We, we say the first time that you should talk <laughs> with your kids about money is when they stop eating it. And uh, unfortunately, she's not there yet. That's awesome. That uh, awesome. That's, so that's, that's when you guys started talking about money, when you stopped uh, taking, taking money in your mouth? 
Well, t- speaking of uh, funny stories and keeping your kids uh, safe and whole, uh, Dad, do you want to talk about that one? And, and kids surviving your attempts to raise them. We were in the Navy Lodge in San Diego. We had just arrived and we were still figuring out housing and everything else that comes with a new duty station. And so we're all crammed into that tiny little hotel room at the lodge. And somehow Carol found a quarter, 22-month-old Carol found a quarter and gave it to taste and uh, started to swallow and it got stuck. Oh. And, and you've seen you've seen those posters, right? You know, hold the kid gently up by the ankles and gently pat their little backs until the quarter <laughs> yeah. falls out. And, and I, I had the I was full of adrenaline, and yeah, that that quarter shot all the way across the room. Uh, <laughs> you so got changed. You got changed for it. <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah, I got thirty cents out. But uh, that was our first attempt at trying to teach a child to manage their money, and we had to wait a couple more months. But once she stopped putting the money in her mouth, we were ready to start counting and handling the coins and playing with the dollar bills. It all begins with just teaching them how to manage what they're doing and how to handle money. So I want to I want to rewind a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, so why was this why was this such a passion for you? Like why did this? Uh, you know, a lot of folks and Stu and I are kind of coming to this point now in our career where we're you know 19 years young and uh, uh, looking to retire here in about 18 months. And and you know, a lot of you're folks counting. Talking, yeah, not that not, not, nobody's counting, um, but this is something that we're super excited about, passionate about, love talking to folks like you guys and, and, and exposing you to our audience, exposing them to you. But why, why were you so passionate about this, you know, even before Carol? Oh, when, when we started our careers, we were thoroughly into our careers, right? I, I started out with the traditional submarine training and did my first tour at sea and uh, went out and came back and did a second tour at sea and then came back to shore duty. And around that time, we started our family. And my shore duty was at an operations center at a submarine uh, force uh, command post. And uh, I was the exercise officer and a current operations officer. So anything that went wrong, uh, generally I got the phone call and got to shuffle the schedule around to make things work out. And I found that I was working far more than I wanted to work. I was working far harder and the challenge, the, the fulfillment, that was, that was trickling away every day. And I had my nose to the grindstone, I was not happy. And at the same time, uh, we started our family. And when Carol was born, I wanted to spend more time with my daughter, be there to watch her do all those important milestones, uh, almost missed the first crawling, that kind of thing. And I realized that my priorities had shifted 180 degrees. And that's when we realized that because my spouse and I were both active duty at the time, that we had a pretty high savings rate, this was going okay. Uh, Maybe I wouldn't need to work very long after the Navy. And right after that, right around early 93, the book, Your Money or Your Life came out. And that book was one that I was just mentally totally primed to pay attention to and use. And that was the first time I realized that we could reach financial independence while we were in the military, uh, retire from the military, and probably never have to work again, have enough assets to last for the rest of our life. That's awesome. And so when did you... um kind of realized that, uh, you know, I guess, how did you even start to come to a a decision on how to teach Carol about these same principles? (laughs) If if your audience is only going to listen to a 10 second soundbite, here's the one they should listen to. We were making stuff up. Nice. We were doing, we were doing the best we could and we had some ideas. My spouse had a lot of ideas and I had some ideas too, but it, it involved doing things that we naturally normally do. Here's an example. And your parents, you understand. We're exhausted. We're up all hours of the night. We're just trying to get through the daily routine as best we can without actually falling asleep on our feet or while we're driving the car home. 
but we also knew that you needed to talk to your baby, to your toddler. And so as we go about our day, we talk and we'd say, well, here we're in a grocery store. We have enough money to buy food. We can buy this food, that food, the other food, but we have just enough money in a budget to buy the food we need for our family and some of the food that we want. And we talk about that with, I think, everything. Uh, we talk about uh, the house and how much the house we are paying rent, how much that cost. And when Carol would want to buy something, we'd say, well, you, that, you could buy that, but you'd have to save up your money and you'd have to have a lot of money. And we just talk in general terms. And as she got older, the conversations became more and more specific. And we gradually realized that this was a way to help her learn how to make decisions. And I guess what, Carol, you're probably about three or four years old when the one special thing started. And At least so that's when that, I really remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it really became concrete to you. We would go to the grocery store as we always would. And of course, toddler Carol was reaching out of the cart for everything that was anywhere close. Now that's why you walk right down the middle of the aisle at yep. the grocery store. And so we eventually came up with the idea of if you're going to go to the grocery store, we'll give you some money and you can buy one special thing. Those are capital letters, one special thing. Nice. And so she'd get a couple of bucks and she'd have to ask what the prices were or find the, the label and read the price and figure out what she wanted. And sometimes it was total junk food, like, you know, a, a prepared lunch. Other times it was candy. But the whole point was, it was her choice. She had the money and she got to make the choice. And then from there, from the one special thing and watching the money disappear, uh, we were able to ease into giving her some money for an allowance. And I think you got started, what, Carol, at three quarters a week when you were three years old, something like that? And I thought you all were geniuses because I figured you knew that <laughs> exactly, it, it, there was this pencil bending machine at my elementary school in the library, and it was designed for kids that kept losing their pencils throughout the day. All you had to do was feed a quarter into the machine and out would pop a pencil. And I loved that pencil bending machine. If I had all the money in the world, I would spend it all until I could empty the machine. And so I thought mom and dad were brilliant because they gave me exactly three quarters a week. So I could buy exactly three pencils a week, or I could buy three, uh, six pencils next week, or I could buy, you know, nine pencils the week after that. But it, it, it became a game, you know, how often did I want to buy these pencils? How much longer could I hold out before I actually, you know, just gave into temptation and bought them? And there are all these other things you could buy too. So this is a process where the young child learns to manage their money, just manage it. And the way they learn to manage it generally is by making mistakes. You know, they spend all their money or they lose their money or they bought that toy they saw in a commercial on TV and it doesn't quite live up to expectations. Uh, maybe peer pressure, right? Somebody else told them they should go buy this toy and they do and they hate it. And now the friendship is in jeopardy. All of these decisions are teachable moments. And so now you can sit down and you're not going to say, well, I told you so. Instead, you're going to say, well, how did that make you feel? What happened when you spent all your money in the pencil machine? It what sucked. do you think you would do? Yeah. What do you think you would do differently in the pencil machine in the future? Not spend all my money there. Yeah. One conversation after another, we'd finally decide that we're going to change the way we behave. The next time we had money for one special thing or allowance we'd been saving. And of course, you know, if grandma sends $20 for a birthday present, that $20 is a huge opportunity for the parents to say, okay, you got $20. You can pretty much do anything you want. You might be financially independent right now. What would you like to do with that $20? Because Game it's not color. money. Yeah, exactly. What, whatever it is, that, that's the chance to have that dream buy big. A pencil machine. Yeah. Buy, buy your own pencil supplies, right? It, that never occurred to me to buy the pencil machine. Buy the machine. All this time I was thinking machine. about the pencils and I never thought about the actual machine. Yeah, but then you'd have to get into the logistics of filling the pencil machine and you'd have Somebody to would have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as they get older, they eventually are comfortable 
handling the money, counting the money, making spending decisions with the money. And that's the point at which you're finally ready. I mean, every child is different. Some of these children may be Warren Buffett's at four years old. Others may not even figure it out until they're teenagers. That's okay. But at some point, they're ready to start thinking about actually saving and investing. And if you try to do that before they've learned to manage the money, then you're pretty much the authoritarian government that's confiscating their money and telling them to put it away for something called the college fund. And if you're six years old, that college fund is two lifetimes away and you're not really uh, understanding the college fund concept in the first place. But all you know is that when you get $20 from grandma, you have to spend it as fast as you can before your parents confiscate it. <laughs> as, smart. As, as, if, as if some of us may have been there in our earlier lives ourselves. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. No. And, and so when was it for you guys that you saw, you know, Carol, I don't know if you remember, but um, Uncle Doug, whenever it was like a like a, that light kind of went off or when she actually started, you know, you could see the reasoning and have those conversations. That'd be really intriguing to know. I think I the biggest one, the biggest one was the school bus stop. I was in middle school and for the first time the <laughs> school was across the district. So I couldn't get there by bicycle. I couldn't walk to school. I had to actually board a bus and ride it across town. And so every day I and the neighborhood kids, we would all get in our group. We would all walk up to the bus stop together and it happened to be on the neighbor's wall. So we'd all sit in the wall, kicking our feet, waiting for this bus to come by. Well, it just so happened that the rest of the neighborhood had to use the same corner to exit out of the neighborhood to get onto the highway. So every day we're seeing everyone in the neighborhood leaving all the neighbors that we know, all the parents that we know, all the cousins that we know. And there's this one guy that keeps going past the bus stop in this green Taurus with the surfboard strapped on top. And when he gets to the stop sign, he'll roll down his window and honk his horn and say to me, bye, honey, have a good day at school. I'm going surfing every day. Even when it rained every day, dad would go by the school bus stop and he would roll down the window and honk his horn with the surfboard attached to the Taurus. And I That's would awesome. just sit there and I would just shake my head and I think to myself, I got to get a job. I got to get a job so I can get some money so that I can get my own surfboard and I can have my own free time to go surf. You know, I have enough money that I don't need to work and I don't need to go to school anymore. That's awesome. That is awesome. That, that, that's a true story. And, 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 you know, it's a great story, but mostly it was by accident. But it, once I became aware of what the effect was, of course, once you know how to motivate somebody, then you do it over and over and over again to make sure they're really motivated. Over but and over. the other the other story the other story was a book that had come out uh, we had read a magazine article somewhere about a book where the uh, parent was establishing a certificate of deposit for their kids and this was the bank of kid and the cd would pay a penny per dollar per month and so your kids already know how to manage the money they know how to get an allowance they know how to spend money that that's fairly straightforward and now now they can put it in the bank and they can get that penny per dollar per month and they can have even more money. And so we would, we would really play that up. We would print out uh, a certificate. We would show the spreadsheet on how the money was growing. And we would talk about now that you have this money in the CD as it grows, what are you gonna wanna buy with it? When it matures at the end of the month, what would you wanna do? You could roll it over to the following month or you could spend it all now. It's your money, what would you like to do? And again, talk about those dreams, inspire saving and investing if you wanna get that really good color Game Boy. Or if you just want to get a, a smaller toy, maybe you only want to do it for a month. That's awesome. In your book, um, at the end, you kind of go through the kid 401k. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, mean, I, I think that's a pretty powerful, powerful tool for sure. 
Um, all, all credit for that goes to my spouse, but also at the time that that kid 401k got started, the Navy was talking about bringing out the thrift savings plan for military. So it's on our, all of our minds. We're getting our 401ks and it, we just somehow had during the course of the discussion said, wow, we should do something like that for Carol. So if, if you could, just for those that haven't read the book, can you explain the kid 401k? You, you want to take that one, Carol? Or? Sure. So the kid 401k started at age eight and it was where mom and dad say, you know, happy birthday, congratulations, we're raising your allowance. I said, great. And they said, but all of it's going to the kid 401k. I'm like, wait, what? And they said, no, 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 we're, we're still giving you an allowance. It's just that you're not going to see some of that allowance. It's going to go directly into the kid 401k. And I said, what do you mean? Mom and dad said, well, we're going to put money in the kid 401k for you so that by the time you're 16 years old, you're going to have $5,000 in the kid 401k. That $5,000 is enough for you to buy your own car when you turn 16. So that's, that's two motivators right there, right? That's first the motivator to save money. And then the second motivator is to get my own driver's license so I could have my own car. And I said, great, this sounds like a great job. You know, eight years from an eight-year-old is an entire lifetime away. This is going to take forever, but eventually <laughs> I will have $5,000. That's a lot of money for a kid. Yeah. And so, you know, six years go by, I'm 14 years old and mom and dad are sitting in the front seat. I'm sitting in the back seat. We're all driving somewhere and the family tourist is getting old. It's, it's almost as old as me. Old. <laughs> nice. And we, we realized that there's going to need to be a new family car and mom and dad in the front seat are debating, you know, maybe we should get this kind of used car or that kind of used car. We should look at, you know, Craigslist was just coming about. We should look on Craigslist. We should look in the local newspaper and, you know, maybe we should consider buying something more expensive. Oh, but Toyota Priuses are still pretty pricey. And at some point my, my gears started turning and I said, well, what if I gave you my $5,000 towards a Prius? What if, what if you guys paid for, you know, what was it? 78% of the Prius and I would pay for the other 22%, I think it was. And I would drive the Prius for age 16 to 17 and a half when I went off to college. And then you guys got the car back after that. Mom and dad are like, okay, this, this could work. Let's, let's, let's think about it and talk about it. And they did come back with the stipulation that if there was any damage done to that Prius whatsoever, <laughs> that it was coming out of my $5,000. And so that's the third motivator, right? I'm not only driving, but I'm driving safely because I got to protect my own investment in this thing if I ever see the, if I ever want to see that money again. Nice. That's it, hilarious. It just so I thought there you were going to charge them interest. Exactly, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. They did everything except uh, charge interest for this lease. That's effectively what this became was a lease. And there was a small fender bender. We're not going to talk too much about that. $200 off the surface. But, <laughs> but by it was the not time, her fault. Right. Yeah. And, and by the time I graduated high school, I got back $4,800. Well, there was my seed emergency fund for when I went off to college. And eventually I did spend about 4,200 of that dollars on a car in college. And then when I got out of college, that car was still with me to my first duty station in the Navy. And then when I came back stateside, well, it was time for a better car. So I put that money right into another car and into another car. And so even though this kid 401k started when I was only eight years old, Technically, it's still been around in my life all the way up to age 28. So basically, awesome. were, Doug, were you you matching the diff, like the the amount that uh, was going into uh, taken from her savings, and you were matching the difference to go into we savings? we had to make a whole lot of math and magic happen in the background to yeah. uh, make that uh, that three or four dollars a week that she was contributing to her 401k plus the parental matching plus 
just the most amazing stock market returns you have ever seen yeah. in your life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it all suddenly became $5,000 at age 16. Now we go, we go yeah. through the math on that in the book. There's an appendix, there's a spreadsheet you can yeah. download and figure out your own stuff. I mean, today you probably don't want to spend just $5,000 for a car. It might cost a little more. But the whole point of that is that we every month would say, well, here's how much money you put into the 401k. Here's how much money that parents put in for the match. The stock market is doing its thing. Look at this growing. I think it's right on track for $5,000 when you turn 16 years old. And that was the, the, not only the most powerful motivator, but she had the power. She knew that she would have that money and she'd be able to go out and buy herself a car. And there was one day, you know, as a parent, you're sitting around watching your kids as they grow older. And at some point they're trash talking, right? They're all bragging on themselves or their families or their possessions. And I was sitting there watching three 12 year old girls talking about what they're going to do when they turn age 16 and their parents are going to buy them a car. And one of them says, well, when I'm 16, my parents are going to buy me a Mustang GT. And the second kid, you know, they've all been watching the Pimp My Ride and MTV Cribs TV shows. So they know how this goes. And the second kid says, well, when I turn 16, my parents are going to buy me an Escalade. Yeah, I'm going to be good. An Escalade. <laughs> uh -huh. The third kid now is not it's going French, to be French, right? Yeah, <laughs> by the company Cadillac, yes. And the, and the third kid, not to be outdone, says, well, when I turn age 16, my parents are going to buy me a Hummer. And so I'm sitting there holding holding back everything I want to say, just pretending to quietly read my book and not make eye contact with anybody. And I'm letting this all flow through. I can't wait to see what else the fourth member of this conversation is going to say. And sure enough, she pipes up, well, when I'm age 16, I'm going to have a kid 401k and I'm going to have $5,000. I'm going to buy any car I want. <laughs> That's awesome. That's well, awesome. the other problem with this is this comes back to you from the kids that go home and talk to their parents and want to know where their kid 401k their 401k is. is. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, those parents come back to you and say, Doug, buddy, hey, uh, talk to me about this kid 401k thing you have going on. And uh, But that was a chance for us to discuss personal finance with other families. Yeah. And, and Carol, at her age, with that $5,000 in college, uh, out frugal the heck out of me at the same age on my first car. And she did a wonderful job in that first car. It gave her many, many miles. <laughs> I think that thing started at what, 163,000 miles, Carol? And you got up to 177,000 before it was finally time for a replacement? Yeah, I so. think it was. I think it was like something like 163,000 miles. And then I no, think by it. the time I sold it, it was like the 190 something. The, the yeah. numbers are somewhere written in a spreadsheet, but it was it was a good number. Nice. And it was the yeah. perfect car for overseas because it was, you know, it was enough to, to be safe and to get me from point A to point B. But it wasn't so bad that I was worried for it in the street, in the parking lot. Or I was worried for, you know, someone taking the American car because all Americans are rich or whatever the situation was. But she sailed all over that uh, mistake that's made by every E3 and every O2 in the military uh, over buying the new car. And uh, that, that right there, I mean, that's one of the big three, right? Housing, yeah. transportation, and food. And uh, yeah. she nailed the transportation part. Oh, that's, that's an amazing story. And, and I yeah. think, you know, my, my mind is going kind of nuts because, you know, we've obviously got these, um, we've got these saving plans for our kids and I'm trying to introduce my two boys. Well, one's four. So he's, uh, you know, him understanding it's a bit of a stretch, but the other boy is a knucklehead as boys tend to be. My daughter is very mature, very smart. And, and I'm trying to get her really conscious of this and understanding how much money and I show them their balance, which is substantial at this point for, especially for a kid. Cause you know, since the day they had a, a, a social security number, we started investing for them. And, and, but, but I, but I'm, 
trying to get like creatively and student, I talked about this, but I think, you know, I don't know if it's age 10 or whatever, but having her take that money and do a real estate transaction and yeah. like trying to creatively like That's have cool. her go through the process of like closing on a house and then seeing, you know, analyzing it while I have uncle Stewie analyze it for her. Cause that's, he does that part of the business. Um, but, but just to kind of get her mind going that, but, but like my mind's going nuts, just thinking about what, how you guys did this. Cause there's such a, it's such a powerful tool to, to empower your children. Um, and then her, their friends, it's almost like a ministry, right? Like, you know, the, uh, yeah. their, their friends, parents are coming over and, and talking <laughs> about potential financial freedom for their children, something they may not have ever considered that gives them, you know, independence, but also take so much of that stress out of their future marriage, uh, them raising kids or whatever it may be. And, and it's just a, it's a beautiful picture of, of what it, what is possible. And it's just super inspiring. You guys are inspiring me because Carol, you obviously just completely embrace that. I mean, your memory is impeccable. I can't remember. Oh, know, it, it looks pretty good now. You, we yeah. glossed over some of the mistakes, but yeah, it yeah. looks pretty good now. Yeah, of course. But, but it is, but it is, it is vastly different than the typical American story. Yeah. And, I, and that's I, the big I'll thing. Put, go ahead. I, I, I was going to say the big thing I grew up with was knowing that money is choices, whether it's choosing one special thing at the grocery store or it's picking out my first car money has always meant choices. And I think that's the big thing that it's the attempt when you're talking with your kids is to understand what kind of choices you can make. And so the whole practice of managing money is to practice those choices. It could be as small as choosing between fireworks or a plush toy, but it could also be as big as, like you said, buying real estate or buying a car or starting a business. And, and those, those choices, the issue with those choices, people ask, you know, well, what, what trust fund gives you this money to raise this child with this financial skill? And, and the answer is it's all the money you're spending anyway. You're going to have to clothe and feed and house your child no matter what. So you might as well let them participate in managing a small portion of that, mostly by mismanaging it. And eventually they're ready to manage a bigger portion and make mistakes on a more sophisticated level. And this will continue. You're trying to raise the size of the sandbox as they learn more and more financial skills as they get older. And the whole idea is to give them more money to manage over a longer period of time in a more complicated manner. And that way, when they finally leave the nest and go to college and finally start their first job, whatever path their life takes them, and they get those great big four-figure, five-figure decisions placed in front of them, like retirement accounts or saving for an emergency fund or a down payment on a, on a house, they're much more comfortable making those decisions because they've been managing smaller amounts of money all along. And I, I had two things I was really concerned about. One of them was that when she became, when it became obvious that she was going to join the Navy, when she got out there and got to the window of opportunity for the bonus program, I wanted to make sure that when the Navy waived that $25,000, exactly, yeah. when the Navy waived that big bonus check in front of her, I wanted to make sure she understood why the Navy was being so nice to her and that she had choices <laughs> and that she didn't have a big student loan or credit card debt or a car payment to handcuff her into that great big bonus program, as we've seen so many of us in other generations, perhaps have happened to them. So I want her to know she had those choices. And now let's let's take this to its further extreme. You want your kids as they grow up and become functioning adults to be comfortable managing large sums of money because someday they may have to manage that money for you. And so the better they are when they're younger, the more payback that's gonna come back around to you as a parent when you're an elder. Yeah, but Carol, good for you that all you have to do is like buy some, uh, you know, 
board wax and like you know i mean what what, what else does your dad need right what else yeah you'd be you'd be sitting nice that's we joke we food. joke that I'm, yeah yeah we joke that i'm gonna paddle out until i can no longer remember how to paddle back in <laughs> that's awesome you know it's what's okay. interesting so the one thing dad did that's... talk about yeah one thing that dad did talk about was you know he talked about ever making the sandbox bigger when i was a four-year-old and actually playing in sandboxes still i only cared about the pencil machine and that was all i can handle in my allowance and what i was thinking for the future but by the time I was in high school, not only was I, you know, doing fun money for my allowance, there was also some money involved for toiletries and clothing. So I was buying my own clothes. I was buying my own shampoo and, and conditioner and other potions, as my parents called it. You know, I was I was buying all my school supplies to an extent. It was to the point where I would actually go and shop for school supplies and I would bring the receipt back to mom and dad. They, they also had what they called a profit sharing program. Uh -huh. So let's say, let's say I needed a uh, $100 graphing calculator because I swear that price has not changed in 10 years. Yeah. Graphing calculators are forever going to be 100 bucks. Texas and Instruments. Tex they, they've got a monopoly. Someone's got to invest TI-92? In some reason. Yeah, right, yeah. So, so I, need a, I need a TI, you know, and Inspire or 83 or 89 or whatever it happens to be for that year. Well, I could go to Walmart and I could buy the 99.99 version of it. Or, you know, Craigslist was just coming up. I could go on Craigslist with, with mom's supervision, of course. I could go on Craigslist and I could find a calculator that was only 50 bucks. And after going down and making the transaction, of course, with one parent sitting at the table behind me, just in case things got a little bit uh, unstable, and I would get to keep $50 of that money. So, you know, not only did I have the graphing calculator, but I had an extra $25 in my pocket awesome. that I could do whatever I wanted with it. Brilliant. And so when, when it came to expanding that sandbox, it was not only about being able to provide for myself, but also figuring out how I could make some money off of this as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about all those things that you would do at different ages, just something as simple as packing your school, your, your lunch for school from home or spending your money to buy the school lunch. You know, if you bring the lunch from home, then you get to keep some of the money that would have been spent on school lunch. I love that. That's awesome. I'm going to implement that like immediately. Yeah. Um, that's great. And one, one question that, that kind of has been in the back of my mind is, um, you know, and David and I've talked about it a lot is our parents. And if my parents listen to this, like, I love you, mom and dad, but like, we didn't, we didn't talk about money like ever still don't like my, my parents, they don't like to talk about money. It's like, it's like, it's like, you know, forbidden thing to talk about. Yeah. It's like taboo. And uh, I'm, I'm really yep. curious why that is. And I don't know if it was just a generational thing and it's just kind of like our generation, the, the baby boomer um, generation that didn't want to like talk about money, but you know, I don't, I don't see why. I mean, I think it's super important. Just like all, everything that you guys are talking about, I think it's super important to teach our kids about that. Indeed. I, I think it goes back several generations beyond that to the 19th century where that was just one of those Victorian subjects when one did not discuss. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, it's it's a super bummer. I mean, uh, David yep. and I have basically had to teach ourselves really about money, and but there's there's a lot of people that that never that never do, you know, and yep. they get into all these situations where they're they're in pretty bad spots. So it's it's a uh, and and there's also you, you don't have to tell your kids, you don't have to tell them, hey, our net worth is eight hundred thousand dollars. Like there's there's never a reason to do that while they're still kids. Yeah. Now, granted, if something goes really wrong and they need to know the family books, but while you're in the last five minutes of life, that's a different situation. But but generally speaking, you don't have to tell your kids, you know, I screwed up and lost twenty thousand dollars here. You know, we're only worth this much there. What matters more to the kids is knowing that everything's going to be okay. And it's more than just saying the phrase, everyone's going to be okay. 
it's more about saying things like we have enough money for us to live in this house for the rest of our lives. We have enough money that if one of us were to fall down the stairs tomorrow, we could be taken care of even if we have to be in a long-term facility. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing where you're not just telling the kids it's going to be okay, but you're able to tell them in some terms what okay looks like. And then as they get older, as they start to understand more of society and, you know, some of the taboos related to society, if you're comfortable at that point, maybe that's the time to say, yeah, we're worth about $1.3 million. And at that point, the kids understand that it doesn't matter what $1.3 million means on the spectrum of rich or poor. They know that $1.3 million is what your family needs to be able to keep being the family that you are. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, and, and I think there's so much, um, I mean, it's so insightful, right? There's, you know, one of the things that you also highlight is, is the, the dearth of education for how to manage money. And sorry, Stu, dearth is a, uh, it's a word that <laughs> means that there's a lack of, or you oh, know, there's not okay. a Thanks. lot of. You, you get this um, much respect for all the warfare communities, don't you, sir? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, the fact that, that it's, it just, we, we as parents haven't taken responsibility for that generation over generation over generation, I think has really led to where we are as a, as a society that's instant gratification. And this, um, you know, it's really interesting because we're, we're having conversations now with our daughter because her friends are uh, uh-huh. like just stuff that their parents are doing things for these kids, nine-year-old kids that are like things that I would never imagine and, and so now we're explaining, okay, your friend has an iPhone 12 because I don't know why, but here's the reasons we don't do that in, in our family. And it's not yep. to be judgmental or pejorative in any way. It's more to be, Hey, this is, we feel this is the way to be responsible. And I think what's really interesting in the, in the conversation with the parents that, that I'm always, um, pushed to have is, Hey, you're, you're actually causing irreparable damage to your child's expectations of what life is going to be from a nine-year-old to the point where they're your age. And, and if, if at this young age, you're just giving them and there's no sense of either earning it or even the concept of, of the consequences of that money, what is that doing to your kid? And yep. what is that going to look like in 20 years? And I think that part of it is a question we need to be asking ourselves. And I think you've, you've done that in an amazing way, right? And, and obviously what's even more powerful is not only have you done that for your daughter in the immediate future, but that is going to be passed on now to your granddaughter. Which, which I don't see how it wouldn't, it would be a, yeah. be a significant there, there will be an influence in her life from one generation or another. Yes. <laughs> right. And, and trust me, I got my notepad ready to start taking notes when we start doing this. Is this going to work for the third generation? We'll yeah. find out. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's just, but, but you're setting your, your, you're kind of breaking out of that mold and setting the, the tone. And I think that's so important for people to hear and you can actually turn out and I mean, Carol, I don't know, did you grow up feeling like you were in significant want or, um, that you didn't have the things that you wanted to have, or there was any moment that you weren't um, provided for? No, not at all. And a lot of times what I felt like was there was a reason why mom and dad weren't giving me something, you know, mom and dad weren't going to buy me a car for my sweet 16. Cause I could do that myself. Who cares? You know, mom and dad weren't going to buy me an iPhone for college. Cause who cares? I can do that. It was the kind of thing where I understood that mom and dad weren't doing it because they were trying to punish me. 
mom and dad wasn't doing it because I could do it. You know, it was kind of that independence of I can figure this out on my own. Mom and dad are always there to, to help and to coach and to, to, to give me uh, the, the help and the guidance that I would ask for. But at the same time, they weren't going to literally give it to me. And, and when kids are younger, you can see that that yearning for whatever the thing that their friends have. And you say, well, wow, you're going to have to save a lot of money and, and save it for a really long time and get a really good job. And you might need a whole bucket of money to buy that toy or that iPhone or whatever that thing is. And try to turn that away from mom and dad, will you give me this to how would I earn the money to buy that for myself? How many jobs would I have to do around the house? How many cars would I have to wash? How many other chores or, or extra ways to earn money can I think of that would let me go buy my own darn thing and then see where that conversation goes? I don't have to wait on mom and dad at all. So, you know, it's all about me at that point. Yeah. How empowering is that? Yeah. Wow. That's good stuff. And what's, what's really cool is, I mean, you guys took what, what you did as a family and, and put it in a book to just, to bless and teach so many other people how to do the same thing. And uh, that, that was completely by accident. I was starting to talk at places like uh, Camp FI or Camp Mustache or FinCon talking with other families. And eventually they became aware that it seemed to be going pretty good for me. This, this guy has more, uh, more in the ball than he looks like. But, <laughs> but then the next question became, you know, what's your daughter doing and where's she going? And wow, you're visiting Spain after this conference because she's stationed in Spain. And they started asking questions about that. And eventually it got to the point where I think a lot of people have seen the math and understand the process of reaching financial independence. We, we, we can all figure that out. we got the whole internet filled with financial information for that. Yeah. The next question was, how do you do it for your kids? What are you, what are you gonna do? And so I would get those questions, would skip over all the other stuff and go straight to the getting it to your kids question. And I came home one day, Marge and I were traveling and we just finished a financial conference where that question came up and we were staying with Carol and her spouse. and. Over the dinner table, the conversation came up, you know, hey, I got that question again about how to raise a, a money smart kid. And, uh, and I'm not really sure what the answers are, but Carol, what do you know? What, what, did, what did we do, do that got you to be a money smart kid? And, you know, she just lit up and, and, and professional authors have learned that that's a, a hint uh, that <laughs> maybe, maybe it's time to write a book. And so we started talking. Uh, my spouse made that little motion that means you better be writing some of this stuff down. <laughs> And soon enough, after those kitchen table stories around the dinners and desserts, we had an outline. And from there, the outline turned into a rough draft. And, you know, it took a, an iterative process. I'd say it was, what, about 18 months of writing, Carol, at our own pace? Give or take, yeah, because we started in October 2018. And I remember that because that was the same week I was doing a TGPS course. So the Navy oh, is yeah. trying to teach me about all the things to survive in the civilian world. And I'm like, uh-huh, I'm not paying attention. I'm just going to type on this book instead. Yeah. Oh. And so from, I think it was like October 2018 to Early at least October. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So right around the October 2019 is when we finished the first draft. And then it was into 2020 that we actually got the publishing done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you guys had a similar experience at your transition seminars, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, yeah. um, I, David and I are, we, it's on our plan to write a book too. I don't know what it's about yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Maybe we'll, I, I, I hear that a lot. And, yeah. and the reason I hear that a lot, <clears throat> no, the reason I hear this so much is because you have something to say and you're good at saying it and you know how a process can result in a big improvement in your life and you can communicate that to other people. 
and uh, yeah, the bar for writing a book is not that high. Here's <laughs> here's, here's exhibit A, and and when you are ready to write that that manuscript and start working, I'm happy to help you guys out. I, I talk with a lot of people about writing whatever book it is they're trying to write and giving suggestions on what we have learned the hard way from the publishing process and what might work for you. And I, you've you've seen all the uh, the stuff that goes out on Amazon. You've seen all the stuff that goes out in the other Facebook groups and the other companies uh, to write books. And uh, you know what can go into that, and you know what can come out of it. And you've got your voice, so tell your story. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you highlight just in that moment, you highlight something that that you've also I think something that is not as obvious when you achieve financial independence and financial freedom. Uh, as you have. And I think it's the opportunity that you have to give back, right? It's the opportunity oh, yeah. that you now have to be that voice to write that book. Because if you're grinding every day and, uh, you know, just having to have a job and, and do these different things, then your value and what you're putting out to the world and what you're offering to a couple of knuckleheads like, like us is, I mean, you can't do that, right? Because your yeah. focus is inward, your focus is in trying to achieve financial independence and all these different things. Yeah. And I think it's such a powerful, like I want to be, so it's it's not, I have no idea what your net worth is, but if you surf every day, that's awesome. And that number is completely inconsequential to me, right? What, it's enough to I surf want. all day. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you can guess where dad has all his money invested in. It's all the surfboards <laughs> on the back of my eye. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Surfboard racks, buy surfboard yes. racks. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm, for me and, and for Stu, it's not about material things or, yeah. or any of that. It's exactly what you talked about. It's the, the opportunity to have the time freedom. And I imagine, yeah, I'm a big fly fisherman snowboarder. Like that's, that's what I do. Yeah. Stu, um, you know, we, we love being outside in the mountains. And, but I tell you when I'm doing those things, like the thoughts are just, you know, I'm in my element, maybe out on a river trying to catch a trout and just the, all the ideas are saturating my mind of, okay, I could do this, that, the other thing. And to have that opportunity and then you turn that around and offer it to somebody else, I think is, is such an awesome thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped up right now to, to like, I just, I, you know, when we get off this call, like Stu, we need to figure out these businesses to get us to a spot where we're well, we just, need to get out of the Navy is what we need to do, but that's, well, that'll come in time. One. That'll yeah. come in time. That's another conversation. Yeah, it's another conversation. Commander retention team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But this is this is part of paying it forward. And this is what you've been doing. You've been taking care of people and helping them. And you've had mentors in the past who have pulled your ashes out of the fire more times than you care to remember. And now you're paying it forward to somebody else. That's good stuff. When's when's uh, when's the next book coming out? Is that, is that going to well, be a second? We, we had a, we had an inspiration uh, at a seminar back in the late 2019 about financial independence as a sustainable lifestyle. In other words, yeah, you're financially independent. Yeah, you got your kid on track. I've read all your books. I get it. Now what? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? And so that's yeah. going to talk about not so much the financial uh, money management aspect of financial independence, but more designing your lifestyle. What are the considerations should come around? I, I'm trying to make this sound interesting. Parts of it still sound uh, a little depressing, right? Like elder care. But you still have to go through stages of life and you have to make sure you have the right choices in place for that stage of life if it should come at you unexpectedly. And I want to let people know that there's no reason to be scared about reaching financial independence and quitting your job. You know, if you, if you insist on quitting your job and you want to do something else, don't be scared. Be moving forward toward your next objective, your next goal. Here's the book. I think there's a, there's, that's really important, though, because a lot of times we are very reactionary in everything that we do, right? You see it in the military oh, yeah. when folks are looking to transition out of the military. They're like, uh, you ask somebody who's a year out and you're like, well, what are you going to do? I have no idea what I'm going to do. You, 
you have no idea like you have you thought about it no clue okay well let's let's talk about that or right. or as you transition through life like what are your considerations for elderly care or whatever and a lot of times people don't even think about it until it happens to them and, and i think that's a travesty i think that's sad one one of the things i was beginning to feel i i, I recently turned 60 years old and one of the things I was beginning to feel is maybe I'm aging out of this financial independence stuff. Uh, but then I ran into a, a gentleman who has uh, been very successful in his career as a financial planner. He's been very successful as a, as a professor, a teacher. He's also been a very big mentor, I've written some, some several books, many books, and he's coaching. And uh, he's 77 years old. And clearly, uh, there is no aging out of this occupation. I was just limiting myself by looking at that and wondering if I was too old for this. Uh, now I have another 17-year goal at least, and I'm pretty certain that this guy is also trying to continue on in his 80s and beyond. Awesome. Well, we have a future speaker for one of our uh, storehouse uh, business retreats to oh, yeah. life uh, skills. Uncle let Doug. Me, let, me get, let me get vaccinated or let's do it online, but uh, <laughs> as soon as we do, I'm ready to travel again. Well, uh, well we don't have the forum set up yet, but we, we've, okay. got, we've got goals. Yeah. Okay, book, forum. I, I, now you have a problem with priorities, but it's yeah. good to have this problem. <laughs> we have too many goals. Uh, right. Well, it's, it's funny that dad mentions uh, vaccination because that was the other thing was that COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of people. You know, people were pretty, you know, going about life, doing things. The recession had been over for 12, almost 13 years, and then COVID hits. And that threw a lot of plans out the windows, a lot of jobs and a lot of livelihoods out of the window. And I think that's the other thing was a lot of discussions. And also, if I remember correctly, there are a lot of folks that were transitioning their way out of the military and decided to say, never mind, cancel my plans, I'm coming right back in. And yeah. and so that was one of the other things was having the financial freedom to look at something like COVID and say, actually, this is exactly why I'm leaving. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it can't stop yeah. me. Yeah, it can't yep. stop me. Yeah. A lot of people, like if you have, if you have options or plans or the mindset that you guys have, uh, a lot of people flourished a lot of people flourished in 2008. A lot of people flourished. I mean, I think that I was reading some article that the, the most businesses were developed and established in 2008 in the history of the world or whatever, something, some crazy stat, right? In the, in the, in the height of the great recession and COVID, a lot of the folks in our networks and the people we talk to are, are crushing it. And they're like, Hey, I hate to say it. I hate to admit it, but 2020 was the best year that we've ever had in our business. And it's, and it's possible. It's, it's that mindset thing. But again, it frees you up, right? You have, Carol, I'm pointing at the screen like, you know, I'm talking to you. You have this, this foundation that your dad uh, helped you to establish. But again, you owned it. You're empowered by it. You're your own woman and you, you uh, thrived in it. And so something like a global pandemic isn't going to derail your, your forever plan and, and quite the opposite, which is, which is I mean, hey, good job to you guys, right? Thank you. Yeah, and that's the other funny thing was that our daughter was born a couple months before COVID hit, so right before the market crashed. So by the time we have her birth certificate and her social security number and we've set up the five to nine accounts, all of a sudden she's invested at the pit of the market. And so we, we nice. just checked the statistics about two hours ago. She's at a 57% gain yeah. for one year <laughs> in a five to nine account. So you talk about businesses flourishing, it's less about me. And it's like my daughter is already the best investor in the house and she doesn't even know what money is yet. There's a metaphor there involving changing diapers, and we're still working on a punchline, but right. it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. good stuff. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Right. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed your book, and, and I hope everyone will put uh, you know a link on the show notes and, and post it to 
I know, uh, I know a lot of people will get a lot of value out of it. Um, the so most I, important thing is to go check your local library, you know, go take a look at the book at your library and learn from there. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, well, I think we might have to do like a round two in the future and get more into the tactics of, of, uh, of all this stuff. And, uh, uh, I think we're going to, we'll hit you up, Doug. We're going to, we're going to make a trip out to Hawaii and, and do some surfing. Hey, I think so. I got to go visit Aloha Solar. Russell, Russell Kimura, if you're listening, shout out to you. But what <laughs> I, what I, I, I can't let this point go. Uh, Doug, we're trying to sell your book and you're like, Hey, go check it out in the library. This is so ingrained. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ingrained. The saving. Uh, I love it. It's awesome. So, um, and that's another point that I think, uh, you know, with you driving by and what you just did, it's about the example. Words are cheap and actions yep. are, are rich. And, and, and the way that, I mean, this is something you literally sabotaging your own book sales to tell people to save money. Is oh, you think sense. I'm sabotaging the book sales, but you'd be amazed how many people are going to graduations and holidays and birthdays with a, with the book that they saw from the library. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Good stuff. Um, well, thank you again. Um, uh, is there any last parting shots you guys want to want to mention before we, we jump off? No, I've had a good time. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. And, you, you know, should. the phrase, we can edit that out. And clearly, you're not going to have to worry about that. So nope. this will be fun. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Got nothing. I have yeah. no editing skills whatsoever. So this is this is, good. This is it. I'm looking well, forward to it. And, you know, I mean, we did notice very early on that if we were to edit it, um, it seemed like I was doing the podcast by myself. So... <laughs> Um, we, we didn't, we didn't want Or to, you soon would be. Okay. Cut. Yeah, right. Cut. That's it. Well, guys, thanks again. Um, for all the listeners out there, go, go, uh, read their book. It's awesome. Uh, give me some five-star reviews, David, maybe one, Carol and Doug, my <laughs> 10. Um, and, uh, most importantly, go fill your storehouse. Make it a great day. See Thank you, sir. Thanks, David. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to Filling the Storehouse. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and share it with someone you love. And if you really felt inspired, leave a five-star review so we could continue to grow and help other Christian entrepreneurs fill their storehouse. If you're interested in creating financial freedom through real estate investing, be sure to check out our website at storehouse310turnkey.com. We'd love to serve you through our platform of building the kingdom. Just click on the contact link and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go for your storehouse and make it a great day.